Hi, friends, and welcome back to With Great People. I'm Richard Kasparowski. With Great People is the podcast for high-performance teams. This episode is a conversation with Judy Reese. Judy is an author and an expert on clean language and distributed teams. Judy and I chat about attentive listening as the most important element of her best team ever. As we talk, I become very self-aware of my own listening skills, and I start to wonder whether I'm listening to her attentively enough. If you enjoy this conversation with Judy, be sure to check out her work at judyreese.co.uk. Judy has a class on clean language coming up on March 9, 2018 in London. To support this podcast, sign up for my newsletter at kasparowski.com. friends, and welcome back to With Great People. We have a special guest today, Judy Reese. Judy is an expert on clean language and distributed teams. She's an author, and she just produced this amazing conference, Metaphorum. Hi, Judy. Hello. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. How are you? Very well, thank you. All right. What else could we add uh, to that introduction? What else can you tell our guests about yourself? Well, I used to be a news journalist for a very long time. And that was where I first encountered the, well, in those days, you didn't even think about remote teams, but now everybody talks about remote teams. In those days, journalists were one of the few places where you would, uh, everybody was remote. All right. So, so you, you kind of grew up as a member of a remote team. Yeah. It was just automatic. One of, I, I was laughing about this with a friend the other day. When I first started, um, I used to have to cycle to the bus station to give my my copy, my my typed up reports to the bus driver who would drop it off to the print centre an hour away. Wait, so you actually, you, you did this on a typewriter, first of all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you, you know, like I'm, I'm picturing like penciled annotations maybe because you didn't have time to type it just perfectly. And you would bicycle to the bus driver. This is like a public bus driver. Yeah. And, and Give him the envelope. <laughs> That's, in, that's incredible. <laughs> and was the bus driver doing this as a, as a favor, or was this like, did, did, did buses uh, operate as couriers? They, this particular bus operated as a courier for this particular newspaper group. Oh, that's, that's insane. That's, that's a really great story. <laughs> but, but one of my mentors in those days, when he used to send his copy from a football match, he used uh, a carrier pigeon. Literally, a carrier pigeon. Yeah. Wow. So. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's got these uh, silly things in my head, like the old, uh, the old April Fool's Day internet spec for uh, for carrier pigeon as the as the physical medium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome. Um, I don't know if that was your best team ever, the group of journalists. But so this is this is the the podcast about high performance teams, and uh, I'd like to ask guests to think about their best team ever. Uh, and to, uh, I don't know, if, do you have a best team in mind, like the best team of your, your entire life? I have a best team. I'm not sure whether it was the best team in my entire life, but it yeah. was a great team. It sure. was a lovely team. Okay. So before you tell us about the team, I want you to, uh, maybe you've been doing this already, because uh, I, I gave you an outline for this conversation ahead of time sort of bring yourself back to that team and try to re-experience what it was like to be part of that team, to be working together. 
when you go back to that team and and re-experience it, what did it feel like to you? Do you have a, a word or a few words that you could use to describe the sensation of being on that team? Yeah, I've been trying. I've been trying to get hold of this feeling uh-huh. um, because it's it's a bit like a, met- a metaphor I've been using recently for for a great team is like a murmuration of starlings. You know the. Uh-huh. birds when they move in concert in a beautiful um, array yeah. and make beautiful shapes in the sky. And the, the word you use is murmuration? Start- a murmuration of starlings. Right. A murmuration of starlings. So it's a bit like that. It was, it was like a not very good murmuration of, starli- of not very many starlings. <laughs> not very many starlings, yeah, okay. Uh, and and, and you, I, I like that you... Uh, you you said this is a metaphor for the team. Uh, so a lot of your work is with, is with metaphors, right? It is nowadays, yes. Yeah, all right. So we've got this, this, this beautiful metaphor for a team. Uh, how, how do you know that this was a great team? Do you, do you have any, any subjective sense, any objective measures of it? Well, it was a great team in that it did great things. Mm-hmm. Um, it produced a couple of really awesome results. Um, I, I, without telling you what kind of team it was, I'm not going to be able to make sense of... Oh, the, you can. Let's, let's hear about yeah. this. <laughs> Is that the <laughs> trick? I'm not allowed to tell you what kind of team it was. So th- this was a team of editors at okay. a company called uh, Teletext, which ran a 24-hour news and sport and general information service on TV before the internet was invented. Um, so okay, not, all countries, not all countries had teletext, but I think America did. I think when I was a kid, I read about this. <laughs> and I wished I had it in my house. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we just didn't have it where I grew up, but you know, it was, it was a small town. Yeah, I think it, 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 it happened on broadcast TV. So if you got your TV through cable, it yeah. didn't happen. Um, it, it was one of those things like the internet that was originally invented by engineers trying to send rude messages to each other. Um, but what happened over 20 years or something is that people worked out that this could be used to send information mm-hmm. over the TV signal. Um, and by the time I joined, it was a full on hundreds of different pages of different information, news, sport, weather, um, flight arrivals, advertising for holidays, all sorts of stuff. Uh-huh. And this team was the team of duty editors. And one of the things with Teletext was that all 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there had to be an experienced journalist there in case something happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> in, in case I spent, some news happened? Yeah, some particular kind of news that meant that everything had to be changed. Okay. And I'd only been there two weeks uh-huh. when this Diana died in the middle of the night. Oh, that was something. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of thing was why there was a duty editor there. Okay. Um, was that whoever was on that night would, you know, change everything. Uh, yeah. You know, and so on. But that team, we were distributed in the sense of time. Oh. 
And how many people were on the studio editors? Um, when I first started, I think there were five of us. By the time we finished, I think I finished there was probably ten. Okay. But so you were like temporarily you know. displaced from each yeah. other. Yeah. We we had one desk. Mm-hmm. And then we could borrow a couple of desks if there was more than one of us in in the daytime. Okay. But this one desk was the duty editor's desk. Uh-huh. And you but, had a, a physical location that you went to? Yeah, okay. yeah a physical location. Um, but we were 24 hours a day, there was one of us there. Uh-huh. At least one of us there. Um, so we got, you know, when things like the, the Princess Diana thing happened, yeah. people jumped into action, people were called in. Um, because I was the, the newest person on the team and the most recent experience of being a, a news reporter, mm-hmm. uh, I got sent out on the streets on the morning after Princess Diana had died to uh-huh. interview people in the streets, uh, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that was quite interesting. But the kind of results we got included, um, well, the most famous one is that we named the Good Friday Agreement. You named the Good Friday Agreement. <laughs> yeah, so the Good Friday Agreement, which brought peace to Northern Ireland in, in inverted commas, um, when it was originally agreed by the people who agreed it, was being called the Stormont Agreement. Not, not nearly as catchy. <laughs> not nearly as catchy. And um, one of the first things the duty editor had to do when a big news story broke was, if it's appropriate, was to put a, a pole, a telephone pole, uh-huh. on the service. Uh-huh. And in this case, the telephone poll should have said, do you back the Stormont Agreement? Right. Now, we were just sitting there thinking, well, we've got to put this up when the phone rang and somebody, a, a, a reader, a viewer, yeah. who was quite a regular, um, and he phoned in and he said, uh, you know, do you put that up? Because he, he could always, already read in his mind's eye what I was about to put. So if yeah. you put that up, what's going to be the result? because the the metaphor in there the storm yeah is is already people are going to resist it the other thing you won't won't be aware of is that stormont is was the center of uh british um imperial power okay in northern ireland Mm -hmm. so it was already a biased thing yeah and this guy i think his name was mr trainer but he, he never used to like to give his name but this guy, he said, tell you what, why don't you call it the Good Friday Agreement? All right. <laughs> and uh, we thought for a moment, said, actually, why not? Because it is Good Friday. Yeah. And who's going to vote against the Good Friday Agreement? Who's going to vote against good in general? <laughs> <laughs> so we went with it. And because in those days, teletext was in every newsroom around the country, everyone went with it. Okay. So... Wow. So, so there's an example of, um, of just one thing, and I'm, I'm sure there were more, but one thing that you did with your team of editors uh, mm. that, that people are, you know, that we're still talking about today so many decades later. Yeah. So I think from an objective point of view, that probably it's a good team in that it produces good results. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what, are, what are some concrete behaviors that you engage in together? What are some, some things about the way that you actually work together that, that sort of went into being such a good team? Well, what, how we managed this whole temporal dislocation thing was we had a thing called the log, okay. which was basically a written document mm-hmm. 
on a database. I, I've forgotten the name of the database that we used, but uh, it, it was a horrible, ugly thing. <laughs> but everything that happened, you used to write a little entry in the log. Right. And every morning, the day duty editor, who for a long time was me, used to print out the log and go through it line by line. And if there was anything in there that needed to be brought to other people's attention, it was my job to to send a message saying this bit of the log to this person. Okay, so you and it was all, all typed. It was all typed. It was all written written down stuff. There was yeah. not much in the way of uh, um, verbal communication. All right. But we found a way to to let each other know what what was going on. Right. Did you did you um. Did you ever see each other? Like when, when you came on your your shift, did you see the previous person? So you, yeah, you would you would literally just see them as they were. They'd say hello, yeah, and, yeah. and they'd be off as fast as they could go. All right. Yeah. So so this this written log was your your primary means of communicating with each other. Yeah. So a, a couple of times I did things to try and get the team together, as yeah. you know you do. You uh, we did things like go off on a bowling night and things, which was fine as far as it went. But actually what we really needed to get good at was the log. Yeah. Because that was our primary means of communication. So you were, uh, you were, each of the five editors, when it was their turn, when they were, when they were on, they were, were you logging as you went through the day? Mm, Yes. That was the idea. As soon as 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 the instant had finished, Straight on. Uh-huh. Right nice. And then when, when, when you got back to work, uh, you would catch up on what the previous four people had been doing while they were on. Yeah. So there'd be printed copies of this thing floating around and the uh-huh. night person would read the previous days and so on. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And if you'd been on holiday for a week, in your pigeonhole <laughs> wouldn't be a week's worth of printed out logs. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you had a lot to catch up on. Mm. Uh, so there, there's one thing. Were there any other any other concrete things that that you did together that that went into being such a such a great team? Um, well, one of the, we could we were able to steer ourselves by changing the way we did the log. So uh. um, at different times, the tone of the log would change. So um, sometimes everything would get very fractious and all the all the uh, log entries sounded like they'd been typed in a great fury (laughs) (laughs) i'm watching you i'm watching you uh like jam your fingers into a maple leaf keyboard as you as you say (laughs) this um but and but sometimes when things were going really badly we do the great thing when things are going really badly, which is to get incredibly calm. Yeah. So there was one time we, um, our, our content management system was replaced mm-hmm. and it, it didn't go entirely smoothly is the uh, generous way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was weeks and weeks. Initially we had no service outside London. It was horrible. Oh my. The, the phones were hot yeah. and we just got quieter and quieter and quieter. And, and the entries on the logs were reduced to short abbreviations uh-huh. <laughs> to, to try and take the, take the stress down okay. amongst the group. Okay. So the, the log was still the primary thing and mm-hmm. the, the way you used it together sort of uh, modulated 
way people were feeling. So you could you could use that to sort of guide the team appropriately. Yeah. So uh, around this time, um, my boss had banned me from using the word crisis. Okay. <laughs> And I decided to pass that on to the team. Uh-huh. And we also decided that we would, as a team, make it a, a more peaceable document so that it was less... It couldn't be used against us. Okay. But we also needed to use it to keep a record because one of the things we were doing was listening closely to the the callers yeah. to see if we could work out what specifically was wrong. Yeah. We ended up with one specific problem. Uh-huh. You know, the service was mostly back on air, but we knew there was one technical problem. We couldn't quite work out what it was. Yeah. So we had to keep recording what people were saying in quite a lot of detail. Yeah. And eventually, it dawned on somebody that the common factor of all these things don't need to. The blue and yellow text was what it was called. Uh, and just enough information to know that there was something was to do with this specific thing. At that point, there was enough information that somebody who knew something on the technical side could go, oh, it's a that. Yeah. And that was, uh, and that was at least in part, probably mostly because uh, you, were, you were carefully recording everything in the log, you were doing it in this... Uh, this modulated way to make sure everybody was still staying positive, uh, and, and 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 you were all reading this log. Mm. So we were listening. Yeah. We were listening to the viewers, and we were listening to each other. Yeah. But we were listening through a written format between each other. We were listening to your viewers and listening to each other, even though it was it was written sort of listening. Mm. Yeah, oh, that's that's fascinating. And and so you solved this. And, and you weren't. Are you allowed to use the word crisis today? You, you, you still don't use the word. Um, I'll try not to say it. Uh, you had this um, this urgent, important problem. And, <laughs> and by listening and, uh, and carefully communicating with each other, you, you, you managed to, to solve it. Eventually. Yeah. Yes. All right. Um, I'm wondering, do you have any advice for our listeners? What could they do? to reproduce the success that this team had or in, in general, what advice do you have for our listeners so that they can have their own high performing team? Well, I, th- there were two things that eventually I was the boss of this team. There were two things I used to recruit for specifically apart from the technical skills. One was being an excellent listener. Okay. And the other was being comfortable with not knowing. Being an excellent person, being comfortable with not knowing. I needed my guys to be able to suspend their own opinion and just be okay with not having a clue what was going on. No. And that, that to me, ties closely in with listening. It makes makes me a better listener when I can suspend my view. Now, when you're recruiting, how can you tell somebody is an excellent listener? Um, first, well, when you when you ask a specific kind of question, they'll be able to respond um, in a way that lets you know that they've taken the information in. Yeah. Um, I also used to like to ask a question about uh, 
tell tell me about a story that surprised you. Yeah. Because if they can recount a story they worked on, which included an element of surprising them, it meant that they had to be able to hear a something unusual. Yeah. Yeah. So they you had you had a good way to collect evidence that they were they were listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it's it was harder to devise a, a way of testing. Were they comfortable with not knowing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever really came up with a perfect one. Um, and when somebody sued sued us for not giving them an interview, um, we had to pay out because I couldn't uh, figure out a way of saying what was it about that CV that said this man can't listen to save his life. Oh, fascinating. So, um, of course, as a, as a hiring manager, you're looking at people's CVs and you're deciding which people to, to, to call in for an interview and which mm. people not to. Yeah. Uh, and and, you, and you're, you're, you're recruiting specifically for these two things. Specifically for two, these two things on top of a certain set of technical skills. Yeah, of course, yeah. This particular guy, in my opinion, didn't have the technical skills either, but that was, or didn't demonstrate them in his CV, but that's another, another question. Yeah, okay. okay. All right. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add? I think that listening makes a big difference to an awful lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think... Nowadays, because this this story is from a long time ago, nowadays when I'm working with teams, getting them listening to each other is often getting them listening in real time across video calls. Or um, What I notice when people listen is, well, after a while you get to know something, yes, but the other piece is that the quality of your attention determines the quality of other people's thinking, which is a quote from Nancy Klein. And I think as a team member, when you listen better, other people think better. Beautiful words. How can our listeners contact you, Judy? I'm very easy to find online, judyreese.co.uk. All right. Uh, so, Judy Reese, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. It was a great pleasure. Talk to you again soon. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening. And remember, to support this podcast, sign up for my newsletter at kasparowski.com.